Good evening, everyone. This is your host, Robbie Cox. Double belly button. Never late for dinner. All the things I have been called before. And I'm bringing you tonight Legal and Ethical Part 2. The long-awaited sequel to Legal and Ethical Part 1. Exactly one month to the day since the other one was published. Today we are going to go through the second, scratch that, the third bullet on the sample question. I'll call your attention to that really quickly by reading it to you. Outline the steps that professional counselors need to follow to help them decide their course of action in the event that the sus- that they suspect that an ethical violation has taken place in their work setting. Specific ethical violation can be one that is committed by them or by fellow colleagues in the work setting. You may choose to address this part of the question based on a briefly described incident of violation, though it is not required. Well, a good ethical story always makes me a little bit more intrigued, so I will provide for you a quick ethical scenario that we will then dissect a little bit. Switching over here, screens. Alright, so this comes to us from the interweb. Um, You can find it yourself on the ACA's website, and it is the case of Sasha and Hector. Sasha, a Caucasian 37-year-old, is a counselor educator at a small university. She is recovering from a lengthy bout with breast cancer and is just back to teaching. This semester, she is serving as a supervisor to two students who are in practicum at different sites. One of the students is a 25-year-old Hispanic male. Hector, who is newly diagnosed with leukemia, while his grades in the program have been acceptable, he doesn't seem to be able to establish rapport appropriately with clients, and he is struggling in his practicum. Some faculty members are concerned that his recent diagnosis is affecting his ability to effectively counsel others. But Sasha recognizes a feeling of unusual connection with him and feels certain that she can help him succeed. He's expressed some feelings of depression and anxiety, and Sasha has informally offered to work with him on developing appropriate counseling skills and a healthy expression of these feelings. During a supervision session, Hector reports that one of his clients, a 14-year-old boy, has disclosed that he's homosexual. Due to Hector's conservative religious beliefs, he does not feel as if he can appropriately counsel someone who engages in behavior with which he does not agree. He asks if he can refer the client to the other practicum student, and Sasha agrees that it would be in the best interest of the client. She also fears that the stress will negatively affect Hector and is concerned about his welfare as well. The site supervisor, where Hector is doing his practicum, vehemently disagrees with this decision, 
and she has notified both Hector and Sasha that she intends to take the issue to the Dean of the University Counseling Department. Um, I think it is a good segue to, uh, I never actually know what these are called, acronym, um, mnemonic, something like that, that I am going to steal from the study group that I have dubbed Mooj. And that is Matt, Unique, Jeremy, and James, their study group, um, the study guide that they shared, uh, I'm pulling this from there. The I'll call it mnemonic. I think that's close. And the mnemonic is, I actually don't generally cite ethical ideas. Or if you think about it in the, as the beginning letter, it's I-A-D-G-C-E-I. Now, if you don't like that mnemonic, it was the Mooj group's idea. If you do like it, um, I actually came up with it and let them use it. Um, so you can you can cite me accordingly. The Iadjukasikiai, or I actually don't generally cite ethical ideals, stands for the various steps in an ethical decision-making model that I will review today. Those steps are identify the problem, I, a. Apply the ACA Code of Ethics. D. Determine the nature and dimensions of the dilemma. G. Generate potential courses of action. C. Consider the potential consequences of all options and determine a course of action. E. Evaluate the selected course of action. And I implement the course of action. So, as you might remember from uh, part one, I do like to um, repeat things. I think in these kind of situations, that is helpful. For all I know, nobody's going to listen to this, and so I'm doing this more for myself than for everybody. I'm also assuming that very few of us are actually communicating commuting at this time in the coronavirus crisis. However, um, if you can connect in your mind the embarrassment and um, uh, chagrin, maybe, that I felt in 696, way back two summers ago, when I spoke up about ethical decision-making models, to... I actually don't generally cite ethical ideals. I think you might be onto something. And I think you might be able to pull that out when you need it during comps. So, back to Sasha and Hector. Sasha clearly made um, a choice that is questionable, especially by the site supervisor. We're going to look through this in our mnemonic. So, I. I is identify the problem. What is the problem here? One of the things that we can do to help us identify the problem is to gather as much information as we can. Be specific and objective. So, um, 
I'm not going to actually go through the scenario and pull those things out. Um, I think we can do that kind of in our mind, and I want to keep moving us forward and focused on the issue at hand here. So when we're identifying the problem, we can also ask, is this issue related to me? What am I doing or not doing? Is it related to the client or the client's significant others? And what are they doing or not doing? So we've, we've identified the problem. And I think in this case, maybe briefly, the problem is that um, Sasha agreed that moving the client from Hector to the other practicum student was a good move. Now, mind you, it sounded like the other practicum student was at a different site. Um, step two, A, or the actually, I actually don't, actually, apply the ACA code of ethics. So we need to review the code of ethics and see what in here helps us out with that. Now, I haven't actually gone and looked through the code on this, but I can guarantee you there's some stuff on supervision, best interest of the client, stuff like that that's going to give us some information. So we would dive into the code of ethics. We would also want to examine this particular dilemma's implications um, on our founding or foundational principles. So that is autonomy, justice, beneficence, non-maleficence, and fidelity. We think, okay, where do those apply? Now, I can see myself, given this kind of situation, um, maybe diving into this and actually writing some of these things down solo. I'm not going to do that in the moment, obviously, if I was Sasha. Uh, but now, going back through that, I might do that. And it would help me to kind of slow the process down and really focus on it. Okay, we're moving on to step three, which is the D. I actually don't. D. Determine the nature and dimensions of the dilemma. Well, I think our particular case here has some of the most controversial areas um, in our field and possibly in society to some degree, and that is uh, when it is okay to refer a client out based on our own personal values. Uh, we, there's been some big cases on this. You know, there's the Ward case. Um, yeah, I can't remember the other one. But uh, I think that is a nature of this uh, dilemma. There's also, I think, the um, personal kind of dual relationship maybe going on. There's the over-identification between Sasha and Hector with uh, cancer surviving or you know, being involved with that. Um, I think as we, you know, if I go back to myself writing this down, pulling that out helps us to really see this and decide like, or at least ask ourselves, how much does this take place in ours? Okay, so we've identified the problem, we've looked at the code of ethics, or 
applied the code of ethics, we've determined D, determined the nature and dimensions of the dilemma, and now we are going to generate potential courses of action. G, I actually don't generally generate potential courses of action. Lots of things we could do here. Um, we won't dive into that. Our next step is to consider the potential consequences of all options and determine a course of action. So this is when we take it and we look at it and we say, okay, here we go. This is good. This is not good. I like this. I have more questions. Once we've decided on a course of action, we're going to E, evaluate the selected course of action. I actually don't generally cite E, ethical ideas, ideals. And this, we can look at three simple tests. Um, we've got the justice test. Does this seem fair in how I would want to be treated or how others would be treated in this situation? We've got the newspaper test. Um, how would you like to see your behavior reported in the newspaper? Or if it was reported, how would you feel? And the universality, whether you could recommend the same course of action to another counselor in the same situation. Uh, strangely, I find the two-chair technique in this um, particular instance to be helpful, where actually moving to another chair when I'm determining the universality can help me distance from that a little bit. Lastly, we are going to I implement our course of action. So we have been through the ethical decision-making model um, kind of forwarded by the ACA. The citation for that is Forrester Miller, that's a hyphenated name, and Davis 2016. The ethical decision-making model, Forrester Miller, and Davis, 2016. We've been through seven steps. You can remember those steps by thinking of the mnemonic, I actually don't generally cite ethical ideals. Those seven steps are identify the problem, apply the ACA code of ethics, determine the nature and dimensions of the dilemma, generate potential courses of action, consider the potential consequences of all options and determine a course of action, then evaluate the selected course of action, and finally implement the course of action. So we're going to wrap up here. Uh, apologize for going a little bit over my, you know, benchmark of 15 minutes. Um, maybe we'll cut some of this stuff out. But I want you to repeat back the seven steps. Remember, I actually don't generally cite ethical ideals. You can also remember uh, me in 696 being embarrassed about ethical decision-making models. And we have seven steps. So step number one is, step number two is, step number three is, Number four, number five, number six, 
And finally, number seven is excellent. You all did such an amazing job. And with that, your host will sign off and see you next time in whatever future podcast awaits us.